0: Hello again, and welcome to the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field. Thanks for being with us. Now, in today's episode, I caught up with Dr. Andy Johnston, PhD in Reformation Studies, in order to gain an insight from church history into pandemics, plagues, and persecution. Andy is well known to many of us, having taught church history on various training courses over the years. Currently he's the lead elder at King's Community Church in Southampton and so as well as being an historian is also working out day to day week to week how to lead in church and follow Jesus amidst the current crisis. If you enjoy what you hear don't forget to like subscribe and share wherever you can but for now I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Andy Johnston. Okay, well, hello everybody. I'm here with Dr. Andy Johnston, and we're going to be talking about church history and how having a historical perspective helps inform your leadership decisions and helps you uh, process things differently as a church leader and pastor. And it's great to have you with us, Andy. Hello. Great to be with you, Jazz. Long time no see. What is one of the, the things that you've learned either about yourself or about leadership in the last six months? Um, I suppose
1: it's not really a new thing. It's something I've known. a long time as long as I've been uh, a pastor in in church leadership but it's hit me afresh and that is you can't please all of the people all of the time and uh, I say that's 20 odd years of church leadership but I think the last six months um, have been so different for uh, the various people in the church I lead, and I guess all churches uh, in the UK and around the world. So for some people, lockdown uh, has been a breeze and others, it's been really tough. Other people uh, who will be long-term shielding don't want to come anywhere near church and other people are desperate to get back. So trying to make decisions that are the right decisions for the whole church, hearing where people are at, But then leading the team and uh, landing decisions, it's tougher than ever, Jess. Uh, Has it
0: changed how you feel about online church, for an example, and having to put things on the internet a lot more and, and stream services and things? Before lockdown, did you have a different attitude to that than you do now? What's your perspective? And I wonder how, as a historian, that shapes your views. Um. Yeah, it is quite
1: funny, actually, because one of my responsibilities in in Catalyst is leadership training. And uh, we've got um, two uh, new young elders who did leadership training when I first came. Part of the fun of doing leadership training with these guys was actually the conversations in the car on the way home. Um, And we had many debates about online church and they were really keen and I said guys you've backed the wrong horse because while I'm leading it ain't gonna happen and I've had to eat my words <laughs> and I've still got reservations um uh, about all the shortcomings of online church and I'm longing to get back to physically gathered church uh, theologically that sits much better with me Um, but I do Thank God for uh, the common grace of modern technology and uh, to be able to do what we've been able to do technologically in the last six months. Because the thought of um, um, extreme lockdown, you know, 30 years ago without any of this technology uh, that's now afforded to us would have been a very uh, bleak concepts
0: you know you mentioned 30 years ago things would have been very different with this technology but obviously throughout church history there have been plenty of uh, outbreaks of diseases of various kinds and uh, this is particularly why I'm quite I'm keen to talk to you I know as a as a doctor in reformation history and uh, we over the years we used to you know you used to be very gracious and give up some of your days off to sit and talk to me in a coffee shop about reformation studies and uh, I think you first introduced me to that uh, um Roland Bainton's book about Martin Luther which was uh which is a very good book. So we've talked a lot about Reformation. I think anybody in our family of churches who's learnt church history uh, has been exposed to your teaching on the subject for many, many years. So you are a seasoned expert on church history. Um so I'd just be interested in, in some of your reflections today. Um on how churches have responded to epidemics and pandemics over the years and uh, and how some of those reflections have helped form your approach as a pastor at this time? Yeah,
1: great, uh, great question. I think inevitably um, the culture in which we're building church will reflect how we respond to um, pandemics. So yeah i i was reading earlier in the week about how the church responded to the spanish flu epidemic in 1918 and of course um in uh, britain at that time was was still at war and uh, anything that was damaging to morale um would have been um, detrimental to the war effort, so it was pretty much you know stiff upper lip, chaps. Let's carry on. Um, really, let's not talk about these things because the prime um, responsibility and challenge that we face as a nation is to win this war that we've been fighting for four and a half years now. So that's a really good example of like, well, here's here's a major epidemic. I think historians calculate about 50 million people worldwide died of Spanish flu, much bigger than the, uh, the the current numbers. But the whole effort was, let's just bury the problem. And uh, for all sorts of uh, very understandable reasons.
0: You mentioned the expression common grace, obviously that uh, throwback to Augustine all those years back. Um, and you've, you've- I remember some of the stuff that you've said on uh, on early church history as well, and that at the start of the pandemic, I was hearing lots of people talk about the the way that the Western world was shaped by the Christians' response to pandemics at the time. Um, can you say a bit about that? And
1: Yeah, yeah, and certainly, you know, second century Rome um, as, you know, a city that just dwarfed any other city in Europe at that time, uh, the church gained a an incredible reputation for caring for the vulnerable, the marginalised, the poor. had an extraordinary number of deacons. Uh, I I can't remember the precise figure, but I think it was something like 150 deacons in the church who were responsible for ministry to the poor uh, at at that time. And, uh, of course, again, how governments respond to crisis does, to a significant extent... Um, reflect and and shape how we as churches are able to respond. So I think when the crisis was first kicking off before lockdown, it was come on, let's get out there, let's care for these people who are who are sick. And then government put lockdown in place, and, and clearly that was a very inappropriate response because um, uh, obviously we have a responsibility to be good citizens. And I think um, the church in the UK reflected that really well in extreme. Lockdown, And even Boris acknowledged that with the tributes he he gave to the um, uh, Tim Hughes initiative with the song The Blessing, which was just huge and reflected, I think, the church is hard to stand with the nation. But if you go back to the second century, um, of course, none of that was there. It's like the government isn't doing anything um, because it can't do anything to stop the spread of... um, disease and pandemic and so the church just rolled up its sleeves and got stuck in and and its love for vulnerable people I think was huge in terms of um, the impact it had for for the gospel and I think you know as we move forwards through the winter not so much caring for those who have the virus because that's the job of our amazing NHS in terms of medical care, we can pastorally care for people. But I think the way in which um, our ministries to the poor and the underprivileged, the marginalized um, in our communities, um, the way in which we do ministry to those people is going to be massive. So you know we set up a like lots and lots of churches, a, a food center here in um, 2008 after the last crash um, to express our heart and God's heart for um, vulnerable people and and it's carried on and served our community and the communities around but I think it's going to be massive and we've had huge investment from our local council wanting to support the food centre and various other charities so we're um, you know preparing ourselves for uh, a major um, uh, initiative or re-engagement in that area of, of ministry, I think it's going to be really important.
0: So how did how can churches help in an epidemic of fear? Then, for example, what can we do to both strengthen the saints, but also um, bring hope and encouragement to the wider community?
1: Um, I I think um, actually showing how the gospel uh, is relevant and applies to both um, you know those who don't know Jesus and and people who've walked with Jesus for for, for years. Um, you know, the classic Tim Keller thing about Christians are like Coke machines. Um, you put your money in, you press the button and the coat never comes out. You always have to kick the machine. And we need to metaphorically kick our congregations with the gospel by reinforcing that Jesus is the one who brings freedom from fear. Jesus is the one who brings hope that Jesus really is the light of the world uh, and and the perfect love really does cast out fear. All the stuff we know, but we have to keep preaching. I have to preach it to myself and I have to preach it to my congregation. <laughs>
0: Andy, take us, take us further back again into, into the land of church history and the bygone age and era and uh, talk to us about... You mentioned the church got a reputation for being a people that cared for the vulnerable and the marginalised in a society where the government didn't make any provisions for that. Um, obviously, it wasn't just plagues but persecutions that the church had to endure. Um, how, how did the various churches respond to to the challenges of their age and uh, what are some and how does some of those lessons that you've studied and thought about inform your your thinking and your day-to-day life as a leader do you think
1: oh that's a that's an interesting one i assume you're talking about cyprian of carthage and the lapsi in the third century and then the donatists as uh, as well um uh, a few decades later is that
0: what you're talking about Oh, I, that that sounds exactly like the sort of thing I talk okay, about. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, the um, Cyprian of 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 Carthage, um, third century Valerian, who was the emperor at the time, some of the the fiercest um, persecution um, uh, during the the Roman era came from Valerian, and um, if you were willing to swear the oath of loyalty. To the emperor, then you were issued with a ticket, um, a libellus, which meant that um, you uh, you uh, bowed the knee to Rome, as it were. And of course, um, uh, many Christians refused to do that. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. But of course, um, not all Christians were strong enough in their faith um, to refuse to swear the oath of loyalty. And uh, so that created real problems in the church, particularly after persecution had subsided. What do you do with those people who had pulled away and and backed off? I guess it's a similar problem um, to um, the book of Hebrews, where the writer is saying, you know, Obviously, there was not the threat of execution, but certainly the threat of persecution and imprisonment. And these Jewish believers who um, had put their faith in Jesus are now facing uh, opposition for being Christians are much more comfortable to retreat back into Judaism and they stop gathering with god's people and the writer has to say no no no, stick with it uh, don't neglect to meet together um strengthen your 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 feeble arms and your weak knees um yeah you know, i've i've encouraged people a, a couple of times i've put it slightly differently k c c we are not quitters we're going to stick this through. And come out the other side stronger in God, um, and I, I guess in in our cultural context context, you know, resolve, and uh, I guess what the um, theologians talk about the perseverance of the saints. It's it's not something that's been a particular strength in Western Christianity. You think much more of say China and and other parts of the world, a bit like the third century, where there's there's persecution. But anyway getting back to dear old Cyprian um, there was a a, a a church leader called um, Nova- um, Novation who said basically uh, these people who quit on walking with God and being part of the church during the persecution they could not be readmitted to church and uh, Cyprian said that they they could so it's just an example of some real tension in the church um, and pretty similar with the, the Donatists. Um, they were those who'd renounced uh, their Christian f- faith under, um, sorry, the Donatists were, were not these people, there were groups of people who'd renounced their faith during the persecution of Diocletian, which is the last wave of of persecution and they were refused some uh, re-entry into the church by these hardliners called the donatists and that's where augustine comes in later on and uh, and condemns the donatists because the donatists even went so far as to say that if you as a believer had been baptized by somebody who had then renounced their faith your baptism was invalid, and you needed to be rebaptized, which isn't very smart theology, obviously.
0: It strikes me that there is a, a difference at the moment in that people aren't necessarily renouncing their faith, but there is a almost like a just a passive disengaging from church life that might be going on in some households. Have you come across that? And what do you think our responses as pastors ought to be to people that we just haven't heard from for six months, people that we thought we were building with and it's all just gone quiet on their on their front? And the I think,
1: that... um, you know, a, a lot of people have stayed um, very connected, but we talked about the advantages of online church. The disadvantage is passivity. You can uh, wake up at, quarter to ten um mind you some of our church would wake up at quarter to ten when they <laughs> they'll, they'll switch the television on at like two minutes past halfway through they'll go make their coffee and make a a bacon potty they'll you they'll, they'll stay in their jimmies um and that's that's church for the week yeah we won't we won't do what cyprian did which was lock them outside the church and then they had to perform acts of penance over a period of time before readmission. I, I don't think Cyprian really had our theology of grace. Um, the church has gone soft since then, hasn't it Andy? Let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. Now, I love the Hillsong line uh, where they get up every Sunday and just say to people in the room, welcome home. And that's going to be a great moment.
0: the line of the reformers that's one of their their favorite statements about the church that it's always reforming um perhaps they didn't anticipate this sort of thing when they made those sorts of statements um but uh take, take me to take me to martin luther and a a big hero of yours although i think you're more of a calvin fan than a luther aren't you actually who who would who do you think would win in a fight or or rather who's your favorite luther or calvin luther
1: would trounce. <laughs> Calvin is in, in a fight. Luther would smash his beer glass and take him <laughs> on. No doubt. Calvin was so weedy and thin and spindly. Um, he, he never wanted to even lead a church. He wanted to be uh, a, a, an academic scholar. So no doubt. I, I actually admire them uh, both hugely. Um, I, they've both got massive weaknesses of of. of Course, yeah, um, I think you yeah, know, Luther's um theology, uh, of and treatment of, of the Jews is just appalling, and I think Calvin on some issues is over doctrinaire, in, in my opinion. But yeah, coming on, on to Luther, Luther lived through a number of different plagues and um epidemics. Um, and I remember seeing quite a lot of Luther quotes early on, uh, in in lockdown about uh, actually, yeah, we need to care for people, but we need to be sensible and, and not um, do anything that is going to likely increase the, the rate of um, inf- infection. It's unusual for Luther to actually be nuanced. I don't think Luther's known for it for his nuance necessarily but he was on this mm,
0: one yeah and the even just the observation there about the different temperaments and personalities of luther and calvin and yet how god used mo- both of them mightily is an encouragement i guess to church leaders uh, who are living through a time of crisis like this and re- responding in different ways based on their own uh, particular um, temperaments perhaps um yeah I think what I love about Luther and
1: Calvin is although they've got flaws, they've got weaknesses, they both put their feet down and said, this is what I believe. And therefore, this is the way I'm going to build a church and build a model that uh, you know, others will, will use and imitate and adapt. Um, and of course, uh, that happened um, all over Europe. Uh, both with Lutheranism and Calvinism. In fact, I would say, in, in terms of um, long-term impact, Calvinism had much more impact because Calvin's model of how to build church was much more adaptable. Luther actually was was not couldn't wouldn't get his head around church planting at all. So his his followers who wanted to take the Lutheran model, and then apply it in a context where there was persecution, he 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 had nothing to offer them. He said, "You either have to come to Wittenberg and belong here, or face the risk of of martyrdom." But it's it's not appropriate or right to plant a church. Um, whereas Calvin, it took him a while to get going with a church planting concept, but by 1554 he was advising or 1555 advising followers in Paris on how to plant a church. So the first Calvinist church is planted in 1555 and between 1555 and 1562 they plant about 1700 churches across France. Huge, huge um, uh, programme and a lot of it uh, it starts off from Geneva. They send about, I think, it's eighty-two pastors um, from the Geneva Academy. But of course, you measure eighty-two pastors against seventeen hundred churches. Most of the pastors haven't been trained in Geneva. Calvin's provided the impetus, but then the whole thing just snowballs, and of course, not just in France, but all over Europe, and eventually all over the world.
0: Wow, and I I know people have commented before, haven't they, about the the impact of new technologies on the Reformation and how it was the printing press that that gave the the means for I mean Calvin's writings and Luther's writings to go so far and influence so many people. Um, people have said we're living in a similar time with uh, the internet, of course, and how that has in, informed and shaped how we've responded to this crisis um as with um the the printing press do you think there are um just ways that it's going to shape the way we think about church and for for good or for bad you'll end up with people like luther going i can't imagine how this can be integrated into church life or church planting and then people like luther embracing it wholesale and um and seeing a lot more impact made yeah
1: yeah so Luther calls printing God's highest and extremist act of grace, whereby the business of the Gospels driven forwards. Um, And uh, my um, doctoral thesis was actually on um, the literature of the Dutch Reformation. Most people don't realise that outside of Germany, Lutheranism had its biggest impact in modern day Belgium and the Netherlands. People look at Belgium today and it's you know um, obviously very postmodern, but historically very strongly Catholic. But that wasn't uh, the case going back in, in the 16th century. Luther had huge impact, but the persecution was actually very, inverted commas, successful. Um, but uh, yeah, the the printing presses, particularly in Antwerp, were constantly churning out um, uh, Lutheran books and pamphlets and and Bibles, um, and uh, I think particularly and um, of course you you think of England, you think of Tyndale and 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 the fifteen twenty six English New Testament, which pretty much mirrors Luther's 1522 New Testament. These these works were hugely significant. I I, I'm really uh, obviously a couple of years ago we we were able to uh, celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I'm looking forward to 2026, which will be the 500th anniversary of the Tyndale. New Testament and I trust by then the covid will be a dim and distant memory and we'll be able to have, be able to have a really big conference to celebrate the the amazing courage of this guy who ultimately laid down his life to use modern technology to give us the word of God in uh well first of all the first translation from Greek and then of course the first printed, version and that the the impact of Tyndale on English culture and English language as well as the church and Christian faith is is huge bigger than Shakespeare I would say
0: um, you mentioned there I, I want to come back to something because a few um we spoke recently and you you said that we can be very quick to quote the the phrase that the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But actually, often persecution is effective at stamping out a lot of life that's getting going. Um, tell us, tell us what was behind that, and what, how, whether or not you have observed that in history.
1: Yeah, well, as I say, where um, the work that I did, you know, many years ago now, um, I think first alerted me to to the fact that, um, uh, though. Um, it's Tertullian, isn't it the blood of the martyrs is is the seed of the church and you look at somewhere like china today probably 100 million christians and and persecution is hotting up um albeit subtly uh in china right now but you go back to uh 1967 and um the um the cultural revolution and mao zedong etc and his aim to eradicate uh, inverted commas Western influence, which basically equals Christianity. He thought of it as a Western religion, which of course it's not. Ironically, it's an Eastern religion, and he he sought to eradicate it uh, from China. And uh, and today Christianity is very very strong in China, but there are other parts of the world, as I say, modern day Belgium where um christian um sorry i'll rephrase that not christianity but evangelicalism was pretty much eradicated going back um 450 to 500 years um the um guy at, at, at the time who ruled the netherlands was charles v he was the most powerful man in the world at that time he ruled not just Holland and, and Belgium. He ruled Germany. He ruled Spain and Portugal. He ruled most of Italy, uh, Switzerland, Poland, Central and South America. He was, you know, a massively powerful ruler, and through um, uh, very, very determined policies, whereby you could be executed uh, for even owning a Bible in um holland or belgium in the 15 30s or 40s very very uh fierce persecution um uh so yeah uh, that's that's the story there
0: yeah, so it's always when you hear things like that it's always so sobering because you realize how easy we've got it at our time in history um do you have confidence that in the Western church we're going to be able to not just get through COVID, but that the church would come out stronger by this experience of the pandemic? Or do you think actually it do, do you fear that it's going to have negative lasting impact on the religious climate, the cultural the, the Christian climate of the of the culture?
1: Um I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. Um Christianity in Europe. Uh, and the United States, um, historically over the last 100 years, has been on a steady downward trajectory. There's there's no getting away from that. Um, And um, this could accelerate it. It really could. We are at a real seminal moment here in the history of the church in the UK, in Europe, and in uh, the united states so um it could be in 10 years from now um there are fewer and smaller churches uh it could be that this is a massive turning point for the good i think the jury's out um i don't think there's ever been a more critical moment in uh the life of the church in the uk for a long time and i don't think Prayer has ever, ever been more important. Um, so I I cannot say with certainty, oh, it's all going to be fine. That big picture around the world, different story. There's revival on pretty much every continent, uh, apart from Europe and, and North America. Um, and the church is growing, going from strength to strength um, in many parts of Africa, South Africa. America and Asia, but you know I have um, a um, a book on my desk. Uh, we're moving. I'm moving back to my offices. I've I've lived working from home, and I've made myself a, a little office because we gave our offices for the first six months um, to the NHS. Uh, but we we're getting our offices back, and on my desk in my office uh, I have. a a Tyndale New Testament facsimile, an exact replica. And I have it there for a reason, because I want to be reminded every day that Christians in England laid down their lives to give me and you the platform from which we build. And so we stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on um Tyndale's shoulders and and I find that inspiring and sobering as well that actually the ball's in my court what what am I going to do and so I want to do everything I can to make sure that the church comes out of lockdown strong robust ready to uh, do all it can to see our nation uh turn to christ in in big numbers
0: wow that's very inspiring andy and a very helpful reminder I mean, a helpful reminder as well that england has not england has been worse than this when it comes to its um the christian climate and the health of the church um and i think you mentioned Tyndale, but um Charles Simeon, is it? I was listening to Mark Sayers, that was it, talk about Charles Simeon and the era of of Christianity that he was ministering in and the challenge on him. And it does seem that there is moments in history, particularly in Britain, where the, the, the church is almost forced into a place of retreat and regroup. And um, they have to straighten out their doctrine, gather again around the gospel and then believe again for a move of God. Um, and as you said, the church has been in decline. I think it's not just church attendance that's in decline. It's also um, orthodoxy. And um, the the influence of the culture in colonizing the church is um, is quite alarming at times at the rate of change in society and the level at which it seems so many people in the church just aren't prepared uh, for thinking through the challenges posed by our culture. Um, Give me a a closing thought or two I guess just some reflections from thinking about um, people like Charles Simeon and, and Tyndale and Luther, some core principles that they grasped to help them stay faithful and burn red hot in a world that was Hell bent on stamping their voice out.
1: Um, yeah, a really good question. I think some of the things that we've already touched on: uh, sovereignty of God, He's a big God. Um, uh, perseverance of the saints. Put your feet down. Uh, do it for the long haul. Richard Baxter is a great hero of of mine. Like went went to Kidderminster uh, in the sixteen forties. There's a tiny handful of people in the town. The towns I know, just over a thousand people. After twelve years, he's gathered uh, eight hundred committed people in the church. It's vast majority of the town, and he does it by house to house visitation. Um, work hard. I don't think. Um, like we, we know it's all dependent on God's grace. The Apostle Paul's clear on that, but the Apostle Paul also says, I work harder than any of you. And we we um it's never been more important to work hard. It's interesting, I think. There's been a lot of talk about Sabbath rest. I don't think I'm very good at that. I need to learn how to rest well. Um and and Uh, take time to recharge, uh, not just physical rest, but spiritual rest um, in order to work hard. Um, uh, So, yeah, I think sovereignty of God, uh, hard work, Sabbath rest um, and an unshakable confidence in the power of the gospel. Um, And uh, you look at any of these these guys, um, they um, you know, they are absolutely rock solid in terms of their confidence that Jesus mm. has changed my life, he can change yours, and he can change a nation. Mm
0: wow wonderful andy this has been so helpful uh, there's been it's been so rich there's been so many good things that you've shared that i'm sure will uh, both encourage people and give people inspiration and ideas wherever they're leading and however they're living out their lives thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to us is there anything you'd like to just share in closing comments that you thought i'd really want to impart this or say this before we're done or you know um
1: no i only the um I am sixty in a couple of months' time, so you know I'm conscious my my time is much more limited than your time, and so I think actually uh, pastors in their 30s like you, um, uh, you know, I think there's there's huge challenge, huge responsibility. One of the things I have loved doing the last few years is is seeing leaders emerge here. In their 20s and 30s and so that when I am long gone uh, the church is in good hands that we've built teams that are uh, robust healthy and young but spiritually mature so it's over to you Jez.
0: Wow What an inspiring call to faithfulness and action that is. I hope you enjoyed the conversation this week and that it's inspired you to keep trusting God in these rapidly changing times. I do so appreciate Andy's historic perspective. It helps us to find a sure footing and reminds us that whereas we only think in terms of years and decades, God is patient, often waiting and working over centuries to fulfill his purposes. Well, next week, we're moving from the historic to the contemporary as we consider tips for maintaining effective mental health with Christian psychologist, author and well-known speaker, Dr. Kate Middleton. Here's a snippet from that conversation. Our approach to God and spiritual space and worship, you know, I've, I've been seeing a lot more interest in sort of contemplative space quiet spaces things like mindfulness meditation which follows in part a cultural move towards some of those things outside of the church but also within the church i think is a general sort of move of 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 something of how we are as people are needing to connect with god in the culture in which we're doing our life and ministry there's a sort of balance to that a counteracting to it I hope you're looking forward to it. It will be out on Monday, the 28th of December. A nice little late Christmas gift for you. In the meantime, all that's left is for me to wish you all a very happy Christmas. I pray that you'll be captivated afresh by the marvel and the wonder of the incarnation. God bless you.